June 16, 1903. Henry Ford incorporates the Ford Motor Company, inspiring another young inventor, Jonathan Trucknut. Welcome to The Revisionists. I'm Brian Flynn. I'm Zach Powers. And our guest is a newcomer to the show, and I'm so excited to have her. Please welcome Natalia Kavalam. Hello. Happy to be here. Thank you for being here. Uh, You are a student of history. I said that in a real weird way. I did study history, which means I am now a waitress. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah. uh, But with a lot of fun facts. (laughs) (laughs) With every every time you drop off a plate to someone, you slip them a fact about the War of 1812. (laughs) Never forget. The one war everyone forgets. (laughs) If you drop off a plate to the person who is president, tell him that it was, in fact, the British who burned down the White House (laughs) for your 18. 1812 fact. Oh, uh, goddammit. Uh, well, listeners, if you're new to the show, what we do each episode is we take a topic from history. One person presents the official uh, government-sanctioned version of events, and another person presents the InfoWars uh, underground uh, people's history version of events. I would currently trust neither the government-sanctioned <laughs> version of an event nor the InfoWars version. Which well, probably because they, they're up. increasingly closer together yeah, at this they're point. Almost, they're basically the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> and neither are accurate. Nope. Not in the least. We're also like a day after everyone saw like the four minute movie trailer uh, the Trump administration had made. For the uh, for Kim Jong Un and the North oh, Koreans. I didn't, I didn't watch it. Was it good? I did not watch this. this oh says... my god! It's. Do they have uh, a narrator? Have you heard of it at least? It's... I saw like a story about it, but I didn't have time to watch it. I have I work. I have a, a job. Yeah. yeah, I saw a headline that says the most office thing that's ever happened in the White House. No, it, it's exactly that because uh, some poor staffer in the White House, who I actually have no sympathy for, um, put together like a fake four-minute movie trailer telling Kim Jong-un like what would happen basically if they cooperated and what would happen uh, if they didn't. Oh, God. That yeah. sounds great. Yeah, no. It And it was basically, it was like, what? I wish it was worse. Like, it looked like they actually put time and effort into editing it. Um, but. Did it look anything like the, di- like that, like, uh. The, the dictator movie, the one with, uh, <laughs> with uh, James Franco, <laughs> oh. <laughs> Seth Rogen making fun of North Korea. Did oh, it look that like one. that one? <laughs> yeah, no, I really wish someone had someone had the just chutzpah to she's spice like, in a few minutes of that. She's like a James Franco cameo in the back <laughs> of the White House. No, office. he's in everything. Are you fucking kidding me? He wrote and directed it. So <laughs> this conversation does have me trying to determine which member of the administration is which character from the office. <laughs> so really, they're all the worst aspects of, I guess, Dwight, Michael, and Jim, respectively. Yeah, who are and really a little bit terrible. of Creed. Yeah, yeah, maybe a little Trump bit of Creed there, too. Trump has got a little Creed in there. All three of them. Oh, and Angela. Mike Pence is clearly an Angela. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like there's also just... And again, this is spread over many people. I feel like there's a little bit of Kevin in everyone in oh, the yeah. administration where they're somehow Bumbling. almost too stupid to conduct their daily lives, <laughs> but, but like manage to. All of the bad parts of those characters and none of the redeeming yeah. parts where they're no. actually like... <laughs> 
optimistic, kind people just looking for love <laughs> in the world. Like, every day in the Trump administration feels like that episode when Michael Scott promised college tuition to a group of, like, elementary school students and can't deliver on it. <laughs> That's what it feels like every day to be alive. Welcome to The Revisionist. I'm Brian Flynn. Uh, I'm Zach Powers, and we're going to talk about past events and not current events today i think <laughs> um uh on the previous episode we discussed uh what did we discuss we discussed james reese europe we did discuss james reese europe uh jazz pioneer and the alternate version of that history won out uh wherein jazz was used as uh elaborate code among other things for transmitting messages and warnings and yeah i think there were, i think there was something crazier going on but i don't remember and i wrote it yeah so. i was i was really hoping you would pick that up for me because i didn't remember either <laughs> definitely um, part of it was the jazz was a code and i'm sure there was an acronym in there oh james race europe he raced for nazi gold but it wasn't nazi gold it was the letters N A Z I, which originally were zany gold. That's and that's he went right. on a zany race across Europe to win the gold. Of course, of course. Why could I, why would I ever be able to remember that? Yeah, and then he hit <laughs> the it. Craziest now, uh, thing that's ever happened. And now there's a mystery, and no one knows where it is. And I think somebody has to spend a night in a haunted house. I don't know. Yeah, I think that's that sounds right. That sounds like us. Somehow I'm worried about putting these this recap right in front of the Patreon ad because it's just like that. And then like, hey, money, please. Here's the synopsis. Now give us money. <laughs> um. Hey there. This is Brian reminding you that The Revisionist is supported by listeners just like you. You can make a pledge and get rewards like shirts and even the right to vote over at patreon.com slash the revisionists. Well, uh, this episode, we're discussing Bertrand Russell. Mm -hmm. uh, Zach, you're doing the true story. Yep. And Natalia, you're doing the alternate. Oh, yeah. All right. Uh, so, Zach, take it away. Okay. Well, Bertrand Russell was born in 1872 to a pretty uh, pretty notable aristocratic, uh, aristocratic, I should say, <laughs> family in England. A His, aristocratic family? Yeah, he was born to the Aristocats, upon which the Disney film is based. Mm, interesting. <laughs> they uh, they cut out a lot of his philosophy and mathematicianing. And their nefarious butler, Edgar. I have not seen that film. Is the <laughs> butler in that film a butler exclusively to a bunch of cats? Yes. A human butler? He is I a think, human. Yeah, the antagonist no, human is a human a man. I mean, they are aristocrats, so we don't really know how the other half lives. Hmm. I mean, I understand why he's angry that cats have all this money and he is a working butler. <laughs> <laughs> I've taken care of a cat. It's super easy. You throw some tuna in a bowl and you're done. <laughs> um, well, regardless. it's a searing indictment of the class system, I guess. Yeah. If you see it from Edgar's... That's like... That's like the uh, Beowulf Grendel we uh, need to have is the Aristocats Edgar. It's Disney's most Bolshevik text, the Aristocats. <laughs> uh, speaking of political philosophy, Bertrand Russell uh, 
His parents were extremely progressive at the time. Um, they advocated for things like uh, birth control, which was at the time, you know, weird and crazy. <laughs> they were um, atheists. His grandmother, uh, Lady Stanley of Alderley, was mm. one of the biggest campaigners for the education of women. And it is said that Russell feared her ridicule. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, the most British sentence I may have ever heard. I fear the ridicule of Lady Stanley mm. of Alderley. <laughs> <laughs> who, if there is ever a movie about Bertrand Russell, will be played by Maggie Smith. I have oh, to no, assume. of course. Right. Yeah, is that too on the nose because of, uh, it doesn't matter. It's going to happen. <laughs> he had uh, two siblings, Frank and Rachel, though Rachel and his father both died when Russell was pretty young. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, after which he had a pretty, like he had a period of depression, but his, he had a keen interest in especially mathematics as a kid. And uh, later said that, Perhaps the only time this has ever been said by a human, his interest in mathematics may have saved his life. <laughs> so, good on you, math, for the first time ever a child wanted to live because of you. <laughs> um, I had quite the opposite experience in high school. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's like math and then not wearing a seatbelt are the two biggest. Yeah. You know, he had a kind of a repressed childhood. He was taught to hide his feelings and not be expressive and all that. So standard masculinity in America. <laughs> um, and I guess England at the time and possibly now. Uh, I guess all English people hide their feelings. I don't know. Is that still a thing? Regardless. Uh, it's pr- probably more a thing than it is here. Yeah. Um, because I feel like Americans are the most obnoxiously open people about their feelings mm. in the entire well, world. I think men only know how to express their feelings in rage half the time in And America. sports. Rage yeah. and sports. And drinking. Sports channeled rage. Yeah, so drinking, rage, and sports are the three acceptable outlet for... <laughs> Those are the three love languages of American men. <laughs> yeah. And I am... And I monster trucks. Say, completely, I am completely illiterate in sports, so... <laughs> and I'm not self-confident enough for rage, so my avenues are limited. Um, regardless, he goes to Trinity College at Cambridge... Um, he comes under the tutelage of Alfred North Whitehead, who is a logician and philosopher. Um, and he, you know, uh, is an exceptional student. He travels to Paris where he meets his first wife, a Quaker named Alice Smith, who's an American. Mm. Um, they marry in 1894 and in 1901, he realizes while on a bike ride that he does not love her. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and next time she asks if she if he loves her, he he tells her no. <laughs> but they remain did he, married. Did he say it like that? I can only assume inflection. No. <laughs> I can only assume the inflection. They remain married for uh, many more years, though. He at the during that time had romantic relationships with a number of other women. Uh, I think that she was aware of them because their their marriage was pretty 
sham at that point. Eventually, mm-hmm. he made he got another woman became pregnant, and he hastily divorced her and married the new person. <laughs> um, that's probably the worst as the the sort of dirtiest aspect of uh, Russell's life. Who is a guy I mostly admire a lot. Yeah, um, that, that that one particular was not a, was not good, but yeah. Uh, so he becomes a professor and takes uh, Ludwig von Wit- uh, Wittgenstein. Is that right? Yeah, Wittgenstein under his his tutelage, and spends a lot of time dealing with his intense phobias and depression, which <laughs> is very draining. But he sees a lot of genius in Wittgenstein, even presenting some of his thoughts when Wittgenstein is taken away to world serve in World War One, where he becomes a prisoner of war. <laughs> Meanwhile, Russell uh, opposes the First World War dramatically. Um, <laughs> it should be noted that Bertrand Russell's godfather was John Stuart Mill, the utilitarian philosopher, who I also am very fond of, uh, though he died very shortly after Russell's birth. Yeah, listeners, was... you can't see this, but there's a uh, there's a, a collage hanging behind Zach made with glitter and puff paint of... Zach, John Stuart Mill, and Bertrand Russell, uh, all <laughs> holding uh, hands, frolicking through a meadow with googly eyes. Mm-hmm, exactly. I don't uh, their say, heads on horses' bodies. I don't want to say they're <laughs> the closest to my own personal philosophy and political leanings, but they kind of are the closest yeah, that, people. That is totally fair. Uh, he opposes the First World War. He speaks up against it often uh, in unsanctioned ways. Uh, he is arrested with a hundred dollar bail. He refuses to pay it because he wants to be sent to prison as a form of protest. But his friends raise the money and and pay it for him. <laughs> Later, he is arrested again and is sent to prison for six months, which he finds quote agreeable enough. <laughs> That's the whitest shit that's ever been said about prison. Because he was able to write one book and start another whilst in prison. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Regardless, uh, he goes on to teach at the University of Chicago and has uh, various positions in New York and L.A. for a while. He also uh, returns to his old college, Trinity College, um, but is kind of dismissed from there because uh he's too he doesn't kink shame he's too open about like he thinks sexual (laughs) yeah that's what they said when they fired him you don't kink shame enough he's most he's basically too sexually progressive like at the time Mm -hmm. he was already advocating for the rights of uh homosexuals uh saying that uh homosexuality should not be criminalized etc etc starting organizations to that effect and this was Um, in the 20s yeah, correct. This was very well, quite early on in in I, I suppose you could say the Modern. gay rights, yeah, yeah, movement. And uh, eventually, uh, he travels to the Soviet Union, where he meets Lenin, who he is greatly disappointed in. <laughs> he, he thinks he that he becomes pos- his grandmother. Yeah. Well, Lenin is also six inches shorter than. Uh, it's his grandmother. Sorry. <laughs> How Freudian. Uh, he thinks that Lenin possesses, quote, an impish cruelty. Um, 
And ultimately, though, he was initially supportive of the revolution because he is a socialist and a utilitarian and a path. Well, pacifist doesn't quite fit into the revolution. I think that's kind of why he becomes disenfranchised with it. Mm -hmm. While he's there in the night, they hear sounds and Russell believes these are clandestine executions. But his the people he is traveling with pass them off as cars backfiring in the night. (laughs) (laughs) So he his compatriots and his wife are all really supportive of the Russian, the new Russian regime. But Russell thinks that they are uh, a bit authoritarian, a bit controlling. He is not impressed by them. Uh, he doesn't think they quite live up to the promise of a, a gen- an actual socialist society. That, that car's backfiring shit is my favorite <laughs> cover excuse. Because I've told myself that in some old apartments I've had, too. Uh, yeah. Uh, by the way, his second wife is named Dora Black, who is a feminist and a social mm-hmm. campaigner. Uh, both of them describe themselves as, uh, I think, I can't remember where, I can't find in the article, but they call themselves social justice somethings <laughs> before that was a thing. Oh, Regardless, oh, yeah. um, when the old Nazis come around. <laughs> <laughs> and different sh- Nazis from the ones who uh, operated the... The, the wacky race. Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. No, the same. Same as that one. Different than different than the Nazis alluded to in our previous episode. Um, regardless, uh, he he um, he initially is against the idea of uh, a second world war. He feels that such a conflict would be huge. What they should do is they should deal with the Nazis and try and go to any lengths to prevent a war but as the 30s wear on and at circa about 1940 when he sees just how you know horrific the nazi regime is how many nations they're invading sort of how unending their thirst for conquest and cruelty is he changes his mind and decides that occasionally the war is a great evil it can be the lesser of two evils Mm -hmm. and begins to support the second world war um, because uh, pacifism uh, is complicated. Yeah, uh, yeah. He he expresses support. He expresses support for Zionism. He believes that there is a place that Jews do need a place to go after the horrors of the Holocaust, but it's not endlessly supportive of it. Uh, when Israel has a campaign against Egypt, he believes Israel is re- acting uh, inhumanely and incorrectly. Mm-hmm. Um. He's also uh, an advocate for uh, kind of agnosticism, but agnostic atheism, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. Famously, he creates the idea of Russell's teapot, which says that if someone makes an insane or hard to prove proposition, it is upon them to prove it and not the person trying to disprove it. He uses the metaphor, if I say there is a teapot somewhere between the Earth and Mars that is too small to find with a telescope, it is impingent upon me to prove that to you and not you to prove it to me. Mm -hmm. Which is a metaphor for proving the existence of God, obviously. Also, Russell's teapot, probably a sex move or something. I'm sure some... 20 something year old Some atheist. Right before, right before he finishes, he puts both his arms up and yells, I'm a little teapot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
That's and then he it, tells yeah. his partner that it's contingent upon them to prove it happened when they're talking about it later, <laughs> not him. <laughs> yeah, just when they're on next door, being like, I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, he advocate. He actually does say that there is a. He thinks there's a strong argument that using nuclear weapons against Russia prior to their attainment of nuclear weapons, given how horrific the Stalin regime is, could potentially be morally better than waiting for the Soviet Union itself to, uh, to gain weapons. Mm. Um, it's debatable whether that was actually advocating for a first strike policy, but it's a little dubious. It's unclear yeah. to this day. Yeah. During after the Soviet Union does get nuclear weapons, he is briefly interjected into uh, into the Cuban Missile Crisis, where he tells Kennedy that he must defer and that his actions are a threat to human survival. Mm-hmm. Um, after and that, sort of like it seemed like his problem had more to do with Stalin. I think so. Than... I think he didn't believe that the Soviet Union was trustworthy with nuclear weapons, like. Just that Stalin was so dangerous. I mean, after they got nuclear weapons, I think after the, after the Soviet Union was resolved, like he also believed that, you know, as long as it's all, it cost the fewest human lives, once the Soviet Union was resolved, all nations should denuclearize. Yeah. And after the Soviet Union got weapons, he still supported denuclearization across the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, he opposed the Vietnam War. You probably aren't surprised by that. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and that was just heating up near the last years of his life. Uh, He died in uh, early 1970 at the age of 98, at which point he had become kind of a symbol for progressives and socialists and basically the new left in America, which Mm -hmm. I think to some degree he remains to this day. Yeah, I I think that's... I think that's fair uh, to what extent people our age are familiar with him. I'm not terribly sure. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I mean... So this will he's, fix uh, all of that. Right. Yeah, exactly. Our extremely popular podcast. Sorry uh, for, <laughs> for getting so dense, but uh, I did want to give a fair shake to the life mm-hmm. of Bertrand Russell. A pretty good philosopher who's mostly all right. <laughs> that's what it says on his business card I'm mostly yeah. all right that's actually his disapproving uh his disapproving grandmother uh that was her last birthday card to him mostly all mostly right. all right uh and that is the true story of bertrand russell uh Zach, oh I, wait i want to do one last <laughs> one last tidbit he mm-hmm. was knighted by king george v uh in 1949 and when he was knighted, King George was apprehensive about knighting somebody who had been sent to prison and said, uh, you have sometimes uh, behaved in a way that if generally accepted would not do or something along those lines. It was very British, but it was basically yeah. saying sometimes you done fucked up. <laughs> and Bertrand Russell replied, much like your brother. Uh, oh, Jesus. Given that George the Fifth's brother was a Nazi sympathizer who abdicated the throne. Yeah. So, uh, so Bertrand Rice, Bertrand Russell, also on his business card, Kitty likes to scratch. So, yeah. <laughs> he also often had a cool pipe. Yep. In many ways, he fits the mold of philosophy student. 
Yeah. Uh, Zach, thank you. Yep. Hello, everybody. I'm J.D. Lopez, the host of Left Hand Right Brain. It's a free-flowing, wide-ranging conversation that I have with artists doing interesting and creative things here in Denver and beyond. We talk about their personal stories, break down their creative process, and what motivates them. Spoiler alert, it's mostly spite. We talk about all these things and more while kicking back, cracking wise, and always having a good time. You can find old episodes and everything you need to know at lefthandrightbrainpod.com. Uh, Natalia, whenever you're ready. All right. This is the, uh, the, the real deal. Mm-hmm. Raw, scripted <laughs> history. Um, Bertrand Russell was born an orphan. Uh, <laughs> so little is known about his true, uh, he was just, his true background. He was just found one day outside of a martial arts dojo in East Cambridge. Um, his accent is presumed to be British, but his uppercuts are definitely Australian. You know, <laughs> it's impressive when you say, I studied at Cambridge. It's less impressive when you say, I studied martial arts <laughs> at Cambridge. Uh, luckily, he got a variety of training being raised as the orphan in the dojo. Mm-hmm. He spent all of his childhood learning Muay Thai and <laughs> Jiu-Jitsu and Krav Maga and did, ballet, just to keep him light on his feet. Right, of course. <laughs> did, he, um, did he, by chance, use mathematics to be super good at fighting like Robert Downey uh-huh. Jr. in those Sherlock Holmes movies. <laughs> Wait, does uh, that happen in those movies? Yeah, there's like slowed down sequence where he's like predicting possible trajectories of punches oh, and shit. Oh, Jesus. Okay. <laughs> so that that's actually how he got good at math because he realized math is all ass whooping. Like it's... <laughs> Modern geometry is entirely based off martial arts. So you were close, Zach. It was just the inverse relationship. <laughs> he created the idea and Robert Downey Jr. stole it. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, traveled back in time and took it from his notebook. Just ripped out the pages. Um, despite being raised in a traditionally Catholic dojo, uh, <laughs> Bertrand Russell... Bertrand Russell was actually a devout Rastafarian. Um, he spent so he spent most of his childhood uh, kicking that's, ass and smoking weed. So and, did um, he? That's actually what he uh, what he accredits to his uh, long lifespan. He lived to be at least a hundred. Again, we don't know because he was born an orphan. So right. Yeah. <laughs> we don't did, know his exact birthday. Did he um, go by Roz Russell or Roz Bertrand? <laughs> Bertrand. Yeah, that, that okay. Roz Russell just does not, it doesn't roll off the tongue. Not the same mm. ring to it. Mm-hmm. But um, on, his, uh, on his deathbed, his, um, his final, with his final breath, he took a hit from his bong. <laughs> his final invention, um, which is actually the modern bong. It's fashioned, <laughs> fashioned off of uh, what was known as Russell's teapot. <laughs> which is uh, what he told his wife it was whenever she came in and asked, what's that weird smell in the room? <laughs> I, I just like, I especially, I like the phrase modern bong. <laughs> <laughs> the modern bong as opposed to the olden yeah, days. Yeah, the ones that are made out of like rhino horn or something. <laughs> you know, The ones your grandpa used. <laughs> I asserted that Bertrand Russell was an influence on the modern liberal wing and left-leaning people uh, in the world. But if he invented the bong, he definitely <laughs> Definitely. Well, That's bong he is actually short for Bertrand. Uh, 
That was what that was the name his grandmother gave him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, when she was uh, scolding him in her terrifying way. Damn you, Bong! <laughs> Disappointment, Bong. <laughs> um, so yeah, so uh, you know, big pot smoker, big ass kicker, um, <laughs> and uh, he grew up in the dojo up until about the age of. Uh, 16, he was kicked out for smoking weed too much in the Catholic dojo. <laughs> so a um, little bit is fine. A little bit is fine, but not indoors. <laughs> no, of course. I no, mean, he, uh, that's he actually, a rented dojo. <laughs> he first learned math when he was uh, carving out his math textbook to make a stash box for <laughs> his marijuanas. <laughs> and as he was carving out the geometry section, he was like, wow, this is a lot like roundhouse kicks. That's exactly. Perfect 360. <laughs> um, after after escaping um, after escaping his dojo, he hitchhiked all the way to London, which was really impressive considering it was still like 1900. There was <laughs> there was there was like three cars in all of England, <laughs> and two um, of them were inbred. Anyway. <laughs> But nonetheless, charming dude managed to hitchhike all the way to London, where he became a professional ass whooper in um, in London's underground fight club, um, <laughs> which was known as the the fight tube, I believe. The, yeah. the fight tube, the fight tube. <laughs> it's not on the telly because it's oh, underground. I... Um, <laughs> the Grand London Pugilist Society. <laughs> Starring Bradley Pitford (laughs) and Edward Norton. Come, chaps, put up your put up your dukes. (laughs) (laughs) It's time to duke it out like gentlemen. First rule of Fight Club: No peasants. (laughs) (laughs) It was and it was an elitist society, the Fight Club. Uh, (laughs) I say, modern society is quite the drag. Perhaps Project Mischief could shake things up a little. We escaped from the misses and tussle. He actually he fought under the um, under Winston Churchill's guide. Uh, Winston Churchill would bet on him every fight, and he even. It sounds like you can't quite break out of the accent. No, I can't. It's trapped. It's embedded. Yeah, Bertrand Russell's coming through me. This is your new life forever. (laughs) I wake up trapped on the other side of the mirror. I yeah, wake it's... up in the middle of the night like, oh my god, I get math. It makes sense it's like now. fucking Pontypool, but with a shitty British accent. <laughs> like you're eating a cookie, and you look down and realize it's a scone the whole time. Damn you, Russell! <laughs> ah. um, anyway. <laughs> so yes, Russell was a, an elite fighter in the underground elitist uh, fight club. And that all changed one day when he tried to do a double backflip off a bar top in a brawl, <laughs> and he broke both of his legs. Oh, no. And uh, this left him bedridden for the better part of the late 1910s, or the early 1910s. Mm. Um, so he just spent a lot of time reading books. But, you know, being an orphan, the only books he could get his hands on were math books. Um, so he got <laughs> the only books suitable for orphans. <laughs> that was a the law, only ones of course, that people at the time. Goodwill. <laughs> at, at the, the time, time there was a, there was an English law that orphans may only have math books. <laughs> <laughs> we can't Fiction have them. Fiction is get- for the wealthy. <laughs> 
If we allow them to read great Brit- British literature like Harry Potter, they might get ideas that being an orphan makes you special. <laughs> you know those British orphan rabble-rousers, Oliver Twist and Harry Potter? <laughs> oh, God, we're getting into the accent again. <laughs> Pull up. Infectious. It's infectious. Uh, but I- <laughs> Literally, it has scurvy. <laughs> Uh, but yes, after he uh, broke both of his legs, he uh, spent a lot of time doing math and stuff. <laughs> he couldn't use his body for um, ass whooping anymore. <laughs> I love the I love the part on his Wikipedia page where it says Russell retired from underground fighting to pursue math <laughs> <laughs> due to a double backflip complication. <laughs> um. But that all changed when, um, around World War One, he uh, just chopped off his legs. He was the first. He was the inventor of prosthetics. <laughs> <laughs> he um, he invented uh, better, better feet <laughs> to kick. <laughs> his uh, patented name was it was better feet, which he <laughs> attached to his original legs. And, I think uh, I gotta say yeah. that's great marketing. Bertrand's Bertrand's better feet. I think yeah. Bertrand's better feet. Get them at Walgreens. As heard on the radio. <laughs> and there's, of course, there's a knockoff Goodfoot. Um, yeah, Not Joffrey's better, good, good foot. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so once World War One broke out, he had his better feet, and he heard of the he um, he heard of the wars breaking out, and it just reignited that fighting fighting power in his soul. He just. He was a real fighter all of his life. That's all he knew was smoking weed and kicking ass all his life. That is his true mantra, his true calling. So um, he traveled all the way to Germany to bust Nazi ass. Because, you know, he was still a humanitarian. He only he ha- he kicked ass in a righteous way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is World War II we're talking about also. Yeah, he traveled okay. through time. Okay. To kick Nazi ass, bring them back to World War One, and then just kick their ass in front of the Kaiser and was like, look what you made me do. <laughs> I'm sure the Kaiser was very confused. <laughs> What's with these silly costumes? <laughs> Get them out of my court. <laughs> um, and because of, you know, because of his time traveling, he broke the laws of physics and the laws of... Uh, the Geneva Convention. <laughs> so he was imprisoned, and in prison he found solace in his uh, Bertrand's p- prison gang. He was the inventor of the modern prison gang. Um, his- the modern prison gang. <laughs> yeah, he just he decided that if we unite as prisoners and fight the other prisoners, we're more powerful prisoners. So um, much of our modern world <laughs> bongs. Bombs. Prison gangs. Yeah, he Sounds turned you almost know, like a prisoner's union. <laughs> <laughs> because in prison, he turned from an activist into a cracktivist. Uh, <laughs> Bertrand, um, he started, you know, being so good at math and stuff. He he uh, fashioned a way to make bathtub crack out oh. of his limited resources in prison, <laughs> um, which helped his prison gang rise above the other other prison gangs. That's partially why he took. Sympathy upon the Bolsheviks, uh, <laughs> Russia's largest prison gang. <laughs> I mean, accurate, semi-accurate. I do, um, I do like how every 
prison gang sounds so similar to unions and political movements that I liked the idea that every every union or political movement began as a prison gang. <laughs> <laughs> it, it just began in the prison. Yeah. I mean, they, <laughs> yeah, you, they all go sent to prison for their radical ideas where they become come together and come up with more radical ideas. Yeah, yeah that's... That's the present classic system. recidivism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so once he was finally released onto the streets, um, <laughs> he continued kicking ass for many years until um, the Queen of England finally said, "If you're not going to fight for my army, get out of my country." Um, <laughs> and he refused to fight for her army because he himself was not an elitist. He only joined the Fight Club to beat elitist ass. You know, mm-hmm. that was his. Um, that was his calling. Yeah. So he moved to an he moved to America because he he felt a calling to you know kick down more uh, more elitist ass. He's the original <laughs> trust buster. He found <laughs> founded the name. Yeah. <laughs> um, he also wanted to preach Rastafarianism, uh, which is why we ended up in Chicago at the <laughs> University of Chicago with the underground. Mm-hmm. Uh, Underground pot smoking society, <laughs> or as they're formerly known, the Dude Society, <laughs> stands for do you just the letter, um, dude. End. <laughs> do you, dude? End. <laughs> to be fair, they were super baked when they super came baked. up with that. Now, I mean, they, when you said the Dude Society, I truly thought you were going to say that the film The Big Lebowski was based on the life of Bertrand Russell. <laughs> yep. Oh, man. God damn it. That, that bog was actually an, uh, an, a collector's item. They borrowed <laughs> it from the Smithsonian. It was Bertrand's bong was used in uh, The Big Lebowski. He actually mm-hmm. had Tara Reid's great-grandmother's toe uh, on a... On a keychain. Yeah, a keychain. It was like his lucky rabbit's foot. But, but, uh, yeah, so he was in America for many years and, you know, eventually returned to his roots of uh, mixed martial arts when he uh, went out to... Went out to Hollywood to train Jackie Chan. Who <laughs> famously, from America, Jackie Chan. <laughs> he trained him in Hollywood, California. Um, and his own studio dojo. He, uh, yes, you know, he connected with Jackie Chan because much like him, he was uh, born an orphan and found outside oh, Studio B. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, uh, and spent the rest of his life kicking ass and smoking weed, just like he always did and just like he always will. <laughs> nice. Natalia, thank you. <laughs> uh, before we move on, um, I just want to remind everyone that The Revisionist is a proud member of the Denver Podcast Network, uh, which includes such shows as uh, Motherfucker in the Cape, uh, which is an awesome, awesome show hosted by R. Allen Brooks, who is a uh, Denver-based comic book writer. Uh, His current series is called Burning Metronome, and it's real creepy and fun, so you should check that out. But Motherfucker in the Cape uh, looks at geek culture uh, through the lens of women and people of color and LGBTQ people and discussions that are normally sidelined in geek culture, and it's a really awesome show. So check that out. Um... As, as for us, we ask, as always, that you take the time to write a review of this podcast on your podcast service of choice. 
Yeah, um, just right. And and it helps if you write a text review in iTunes are the most helpful. Mm-hmm. And you could just write, do you dude end? I'm trying to come up with a dude acronym that would fit a review. Uh, definitely understand. Mm. Decent enough? Yeah. <laughs> but give us five stars. Even if yeah. you say decent enough, five stars, please. <laughs> Just say, dude, good job. Yeah, yeah. exactly. There we go. Um, you can also leave us a comment or ask us a question at revisionistpodcast.com and reach out to us on social media stuff Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, the old social meds. Um, <laughs> Natalia, you got uh, you got a really interesting show coming up. Uh, yeah. Celebrate Freedom Colorado. Do you yeah, Celebrate Freedom Colorado is going to be at Alchemy of Movement in Boulder on July sixth. Um, so it's a show at a burlesque studio where um, there's going to be a comedian, maybe others. Um, I'm doing a comedy circus routine, so if you want to see what a stand up with a hula hoop looks like, or upside down stand up, uh, come check it out. And uh, Matthew Silver, the performing performance artist is going to be headlining so probably awesome. going to be doing some weird fun stuff <laughs> yeah that's gonna be really cool and then you're at uh e-town yes on um, july or june 26th mm-hmm. uh which is hosted by friend of the show cody spiker so check that out yeah uh zach stage of fools has the yeah it's curtain wrapped. has closed on yeah so we have finally released our uh season four Wrap up for this god awful E scripted television series. Mm-hmm. So uh, you can catch that out now on iTunes if you want to just get a, a very slipshod idea of what happened this season. <laughs> you can listen to that. Uh, our final thoughts on it. Well, we will have at least one more episode, be it to look back on the whole series if they cancel it or. We'll have like 10 or 11 more if they do a season five. Oh, so we they do still not haven't yet. announced that yet. Have not announced oh. it. The show that airs uh, just before it has been canceled, but it has not. Well, gosh. That's... There's still hope. Yeah, I well, mean, hope, hope is, not, is the... not, yeah. Hope is might be the word in that hope is the last thing left in Pandora's box after all the evils of the world have been left out. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, there's still dread, as I think. <laughs> <laughs> still disappointment to be found. Yeah. It's got to feel a little bit like Sisyphus if they renew it. Um, I will say, season four ended on a huge cliffhanger. They didn't resolve anything. It's like expecting to get renewed. So. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, as for me, listeners, I'll... Uh, I have a uh, fiction piece in the upcoming issue of Cherry Magazine, which should be out uh, around the end of this month. Uh, So check that out. Uh, You can pick up a physical copy in Denver, or uh, you can buy a digital copy at uh, rottengirlpress.com. And also, I have a new website, flynncomedy.com, that has, like, fiction writing and a blog and, uh, like, some stand-up videos. Um... I'm very good at selling. And uh, I'll be appearing on the latest episode of Mutiny Book Club, uh, which is hosted by Byron Graham uh, on June 25th at 4 p.m. at Mutiny. Uh, We'll be recording that, and then that'll be released as a podcast. And we're discussing Ursula K. Le Guin's A Wizard of Earthsea. 
So come check that out. Uh, it'll be me, Byron Graham, and Katie Hannon. Uh, so it'll be a lot of fun and probably not at all informative in any way. <laughs> um, so I get to judge this episode. Uh, and as always, it's really difficult. And I'm going to try to talk my way to a conclusion. Uh, so bear with me. Uh, on the one hand, I admire Bertrand Russell a whole bunch. Uh, just in terms of his philosophy, I'm probably very similar to where Zach stands in terms of like, this is like the major philosopher with whom we share the most in common. Um, but also, just first of all, just the phrase Catholic Dojo, I, <laughs> I liked a lot. Um, and so I was torn... And then I thought you were going in the direction of he actually did fight in World War II because he was uh, an underground uh, pugilist ass-kicker in World War I, which I was like, oh, that might push me toward the actual, but then finding out it's World War II, I think I'm going to go with the alternate history this time, uh, where Bertrand Russell opposed war, discovered math through drugs, uh, (laughs) invented bongs and prison gangs. Um, (laughs) But also, that said, uh, the vote is now with the listener. Um, so, please. That is not an error on Brian's part. We have one listener. <laughs> so, Derek, it's your time to shine. <laughs> <laughs> um, I uh, <laughs> I still need to check to see if uh, those Irish listeners who came on for the Roger Caseman episode uh, <laughs> stuck by us. Through our many episodes I, I of it. insulting the Irish. <laughs> uh, but uh, for everyone here at The Revisionists, I'm Brian Flynn. I'm Zach Powers. Natalia, thank I'm you for Natalia being I'm Natalia Cavellum. Oh, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to thank people. Thank you, everyone. Have a good time. I thought Bye-bye. you were going to say it.